Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's May 27th, 1977. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. The BBC had banned the song. Most concert venues wouldn't let you see the band live. ITV had pulled the ads that the single had been released and you couldn't even buy it in large record stores who refused to stock it. And yet, on this day in 1977, Virgin Records did release God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols and it very nearly got to number one and according to the NME at the time actually did. Yeah, and it's a miracle that anyone got to listen to it, never mind buy it, because as you said, it was actually very difficult to obtain the record. And in fact, the pushback had started even before the record was released, because some of the workers at the pressing plant that were making the records refused to work on it, and some of the sleeve makers refused to make sleeves for the record. Yeah, and it's fair to say that if the intention was to offend, then it was absolutely successful (laughs) in meeting that brief. And the cover art for the single has uh, this picture of the Queen that's kind of defaced, and then... There's absolutely no swearing in the song. It's just about how the Queen sucks. And it caused this enormous (laughs) controversy. The Labour MP Marcus Lipton said, if pop music is going to be used to destroy our established institutions, then it ought to be destroyed first. And that's what led to the banning of the Sex Pistols from television and many councils refusing to allow them to play concerts in their area. So it's just this massive, massive furore over something that really is quite polite on one level, just a really good statement of what it set out to do. It's worth mentioning this isn't the first time the song was released, though. This was the second time the song was released. The song had been released the year before on A&M, copies of which are now really rare and valuable. This second kind of reissue of God Save the Queen was calculated for maximum offence by releasing it to coincide with the Queen's Silver Jubilee. And, you know, having all this Platinum Jubilee stuff going on at the moment in the UK, to transport yourself back to the 70s and imagine this, all this reverence, all this coverage, all this publicity, but in the 70s, (laughs) 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 you know, with bowler hats still a thing. You can see why people were offended. And even, I, this was, it's so simple, but you don't necessarily think about it. There had never been another song released called God Save the Queen. Mm. Even mm. that, even the small things where the controversy is, the idea that someone would even release a song with that title, yes, never mind yeah. what the lyrics are going to be. Is- <laughs> <laughs> but rumours have persisted ever since it came out that the charts were actually manipulated to keep it from getting to number one. Yeah, Rod Stewart got to number one, and Rod Stewart still to this day contends there was no funny business behind the scenes to enable that and he has professed his uh, admiration for the Sex Pistols and what they were doing. He just says he doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, (laughs) That's Arian being clever because the song was I don't want to talk about it they got to number one. Yeah, and to understand why the chart performance was contested, we need to sort of understand that before 1969, music magazines all compiled their own charts and they all had their own way of doing this. So what is considered the sort of Bible of hits, which is the Guinness Book of British Hit Singles, they used to rely on the NME charts till 1960. 
Then they switched to using Record Retailer, another music magazine, until 1969. And that switch robbed some artists of number one. So they didn't get to go in the book because they weren't top of the chart that they were using at the time. A couple of those, um, Help Yourself by Tom Jones, that was number one on the NME charts. Let's Twist Again by Chubby Checker, that was number one on the NME charts. And then what happened in 1969 is that BBC joined forces with the Record Retailer to create this group called the British Market Research Bureau that was going to be the official charts. And that's still the basis of the official charts that we have now. So... Apparently, the story goes that the compilers were getting spooked as God Save the Queen was climbing the charts. So they changed the rules for one week only, saying that record shops, which also had a record label, couldn't count those records towards their overall sales figures. Mm. Which obviously, seeing as it had been released on Virgin and they had Virgin Records, meant that no sales in Virgin stores could be counted towards the sales of God Save the Queen. And then they just quickly rescinded that rule again. It's interesting, the Virgin point, isn't it? Because this was Richard Branson's biggest hit at this point. And they signed uh, the Sex Pistols just a few weeks prior, just to release this single. I mean, Malcolm McLaren, the Sex Pistols manager, and the kind of Brian Epstein figure behind the scenes had come to Branson and said, let's release Mm -hmm. this song the week of the Jubilee, and let's have a boat party go past down the Thames with the Sex Pistols playing it and playing Anarchy in the UK opposite Parliament. I mean, international listeners might not understand the full resonance of that. The Queen also does a boat procession for her jubilees. So they were really, like, taking the piss. And actually, it's quite interesting that Branson was on that boat. Most of the people on that boat were doing speed. Most of the people on that boat got arrested when it finally docked. And yet Branson eventually got a knighthood. Now, I know he did a lot for British uh, enterprise and business, but it's quite funny. I mean, there must have been a moment where one of the Queen's advisors had to explain to her who he was. And I wonder if they left this anecdote out. But when you actually look at the lyrics, the song isn't really about the Queen. It's not like four verses of slagging off the royal family piece by piece. It's more about, you know, it's about the British society in general and how it was seen as being this sort of stagnant, class-ridden, hopeless place, which actually is a lot scarier than attacking the Queen when you think about it. But Johnny Rotten has said that the lyrics are seen as being an attack on English institutions and English people, but that it's actually about conveying indignation on behalf of the English working class who are trapped in this society. And he says they didn't foresee the controversy, but at the same time, like they did organise that parody boat party. So Yeah. <laughs> well, when he originally wrote the song, it wasn't called God Save the Queen. That was McLaren intervening behind the scenes again. It was originally called No Future. And uh, John Lydon wrote it around the breakfast table at his parents' house, and it had been knocking around for a few years. But... I agree. If you look at the lyrics, you know, in the cold light of day, um, she ain't no human being, for example, is a lyric mm. that, you know, makes you think, oh, it's a bit harsh. She is a human being. She's a nice old lady. But <laughs> well, he isn't not, literally. She's but she's not, he's not literally saying the queen isn't human. He's saying <laughs> she is the symbol of the establishment, which is something I disagree with. And actually, weirdly, mm. in its purest form, that's something that conservative-leaning royalists would agree with, isn't it? She's not a human <laughs> being. She's the crown. She represents an institution. That is literally what she is when you say God save the queen. Yeah, I think it was the rhyming of queen with fascist regime was sure. so sensitive, especially like given obviously it was a jubilee year and a time when everyone was supposed to be appreciating the queen, given that the monarchy had played this figurehead role during World War II and that the queen had this very well-known national service herself... But also there was still that pesky sceptre of Edward VIII and the Nazi sympathising. You know, we hadn't seen the public yet, hadn't yet seen those photos of the royal family appearing to do Nazi salutes or anything like that. But there was still a sensitivity around the idea that actually there had been royals who sympathised with fascism. Also, they had a tendency to recycle lyrical motifs and particularly the God Save business, um, which featured also in their own recounting of that whole incident where they appeared on ITV and did a lot of swearing. And they released 
released a song later called No One Is Innocent, brackets the biggest blow that's lyrics went, God save television, keep the programs pure, God save William Grundy, who was the guy who was interviewing them and sort of exhorting them to use more and more foul language from falling in manure. So they did like a bit of God saving <laughs> <laughs> wherever they went. It's hard to imagine the nation rallying around behind Thames television host Bill Grundy, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly not after they were done with him. <laughs> it is kind of funny, though, isn't it? Like everything about the provocation of it, it's so sort of sweetly it's great. anarchistic. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, sex pistols. Even now in the age yeah. of Google, those right. two words together is a great <laughs> it's funny. combination. Yeah. And the fact that they burned out after a year, you know, burn so bright and then burned out. You can, again, feel the hand of McLaren there. Like, I think even though they were massively successful, he, you know, is often called kind of art school anarchist was mm. pushing them as far as they could go, deliberately setting them up in gigs where the audience hated them, even though they could have sold out the London Palladium to people who love them. And the whole point was just to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Partly, and this is the incredible contradiction at the heart of it all, partly so that he and Vivian Westwood could flog some T-shirts. And this is a strange <laughs> thing. They're an anti-establishment band, but they're basically promoting their shop, sex. Um, they are a walking advert for the clothes that they sold. So they have these two values going on, rampant commercialism and provocation and anarchy. I mean, famously, the Ramones sell more T-shirts than they ever sold albums. And I would suspect that the Sex Pistols are not too dissimilar. This seems like a strange comparison to make, but you remember when we did our episode on Millie Vanilli? <laughs> yeah. There was, and they basically, they were hired to be the face of the band mm. because they looked the part. It was yes. a, kind of a similar thing with the Sex Pistols. You know, although, although obviously some of them were musicians and lyricists, like when Sid Vicious joined, he was just an uber fan who dressed in the right way. Right. And he ended up joining the band and he couldn't play bass. He had to learn on the job. He didn't play bass on Nevermind the Bollocks because he wasn't good enough to do it. Well, I mean, <laughs> another episode for another day because we're getting close to our allotted time, folks. But I'll just leave this fact with you if you didn't know it already. At one stage, Ronnie Biggs was in the Sex Pistols. I mean, that tells you what they're looking for is sensationalism, <laughs> not quality. Next time. It is an attempt to do money making with ethics and God. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.